Welcome back to the podcast. It's your host, John Scardina. I am so excited for this episode. I have uh, this awesome, kind of unique experience with technologies and emergency management, emergency services. I've seen what they can do. I've been on this kick for a little while. Last week, I think it was, or two weeks ago, we had Zach Borst on here talking about OpenAI and what artificial intelligence can do. Zach and I both love tech. And so I have a cool opportunity to talk about another kind of tech. Tech with a big T, I think, is what um, the Director of Safety Act from DHS would call it, where we get to talk about drones and this really unique opportunity to talk to people in the hole with a Brink ball from Brink Drones. It's really cool stuff. And so today I'm going to be talking to the CEO of Brink. His name is Blake Resnick. Blake, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. So we were just chatting right before this, and you were going through all the different incidents that Brink drones, like really national or international news level kind of incidents that Brink has been involved with, just to like help our audience understand that you're a company that is essentially the real deal doing the real stuff. Can you talk about the incidents that you're recently involved with your, with your company? Yeah, absolutely. So... At this point, we work with around 400 public safety agencies all over the world. Um, so every day our technology is being used in a SWAT call out or hazmat situation or, or similar. But mm. there are a couple of missions that we've, you know, we've been able to participate in that uh, do, do stand out. Uh, so the first is the, the Surfside building collapse in Florida, where we were able to take our drones and basically fly it underneath the still standing portion of the tower in order to give structural engineers some more information about the stability Whoa. of the building. Um, the, the next was uh, actually quite a few operations in Ukraine. Um, Ukrainian Emergency Services is operating almost 60 of our aircraft right now. Wow. Uh, and then most recently, uh, we did some work in Turkey after the earthquakes there. So uh, happy to talk about any of those more. Yeah, it's kind of hard. Like to, I mean, there's obviously some common themes here with a collapsed structure, you know, one of the things that I found with USAR and collapsed structures is honestly the um, because of the pancaking nature, it's really hard to get into signals and like to, to navigate that. How do your you know, just from like a tech nerding out here for a second, how does your technology go into those structures and still provide signals? Do you have to do relays? Do you have repeaters? Like, how does that work? Yeah, that is an extremely good question and something that we, we focus a lot of engineering effort on. So there are a couple couple challenges here. First of all, uh, in almost all of these cases, you don't have GPS under, you know, 10, 20, you know, potentially more than that feet of collapsed concrete. There's a major problem because every basically every drone in the world predominantly relies on GPS for navigation, figuring out where it is in the world and even keeping the drone stable as it's trying to hover. So that's, that's a major impediment, not being able to use that system. The next major problem is frequently dark. You know, yeah. in, in most cases, there isn't a lot of light in these, uh, in these collapsed structures. So trying to use cameras, conventional cameras for localization and, and, and navigation also becomes really challenging. So what we've had to do is build up a system that can be robust in these conditions. And the way we've done that is utilizing a LIDAR sensor, uh, a VIO kind of AI ML powered tracking camera, and then a really unique high powered night vision illuminator. So as we're flying around, 
the drone is basically drawing infrared laser patterns all over the walls or surfaces nearby. It's measuring the time of flight of those lasers from when they're fired out of the LIDAR to when they hit against something, bounce back into the drone. And then it's generating full point clouds. So we're taking that information. Then we have this camera system uh, with, again, like a very high powered illuminator that is taking pictures of a frame. It's using AI and ML to pick out tracking points. And then it's using conventional computer vision to track those point to point. Then all of that is also being used, uh, also being fused, excuse me, with an IMU. And that's basically teaching the drone where it is. So that's really hard and complex, something we've had to spend a lot of effort on. Uh, And then to address kind of the second part of this, which you you mentioned, is all that concrete loves to eat signals too. So it eats GPS signal. But it also eats cellular signal uh, and it eats command and control and and video signals. Mm. Uh, So a couple of ways you can deal with this. Number one, you can just use kind of lower frequency comms like that. That certainly helps like longer wavelengths uh, of of RF energy that you're transmitting. That'll help get through more material. But we've implemented a, a pretty unique industry first feature on Lemur 2 which is drones themselves basically act as signal repeaters and can generate large mesh networks between drones, our handheld controllers, and even body-worn radios. Real quick, we're going to pause for this week's Disaster Tough endorsements. How do you spell Doberman Emergency Management? EOP, OEP, HVA, HMP, Thyra, TTX, Drone, PDA. Whenever you need an expert, Doberman Emergency Management field experts are there for support. Contact an expert at DobermanEMG.com today. The L3 Harris Extreme 400P radio solves problems and is specifically designed for emergency services. How do we know? We field tested it with medical, urban search and rescue, and collapse and confined structures. This radio is amazingly tough. Check out the L3 Harris Extreme 400P radio at L3Harris.com right now. Okay, let's jump back in. Uh, So with our new drone, if you're dealing with a collapsed structure, you can take off aircraft one, fly that maybe a third into the structure until you start losing a little bit of comms, land it, use that as a signal repeater, take off another drone, and then clear the rest of the that's awesome. Uh, no one else has done that before. And it's also pretty challenging, but uh, we were able to pull it off and it, it works really well in these types of conditions. That's so cool. There's, um, and admittedly to my audience, everybody knows this because you've heard it every week, but L3 Harris is a big sponsor of ours, but they were also at Surfside and they go out to all the USAR training with us. And um, the, the same kind of thing, again, completely different technology, but we were having a problem where people, once they get into a hole, couldn't talk. And so one of the things that they did with their radio is that they were able to turn on basically a repeater. So you just drop a radio and go further yep. and further down. The reason why I asked about, I, I honestly, I gave you a softball because I saw in this video, um, the mesh network capability where you had one drone. I mean, it was just a, it was an advertisement drone video, but you had one drone up in the sky and then you're able to add additional uh, drones for longer range and capability. And I was like, man, like, how many times have I wanted that capability specifically or to be able to draw lines, especially when you get into, now I'm not a USAR person. I've only done it with training and I've, I've been on the outside of the hole most of the time. Um, one time I was like laying on pig guts for like three hours. To oh, man. The whole other thing. But, uh, <laughs> Does not sound like a good time. No, it was, you know what? It was like the time of my life. Funny enough, but uh, <laughs> we, we went in there and, 
to have that situational awareness, that capability from an engineering standpoint, I think Joe Hernandez, he's like a USAR legend, Oklahoma City bombing 9-11 Twin Towers. He calls them Widowmakers. I think Walt, Walt Lewis calls them as well. Like when you're outside the hole and things could drop out in 24 hours, but when you're inside yeah. the hole and you're worried about shifts and how long that's going to happen, to have technologies aid responders so that they can help people faster to help more people to identify where they're at by looking at, again, point cloud shapes, looking at for the, the shape of a finger, looking for the shape of, you know, a nose, AI suggest, uh, you know, supporting that phenomenal, phenomenal capability there. And the, the funny things we keep crossing paths with these different disasters, you know, you know, kind of my crew because of that. And by inadvertently, this is just shows how small the world is. And yet, you know, emerging technologies, we have like these two cultures. You have like the culture probably of like you and I and Zach, where we're like all technology, all in, let's go. We, we know what it can do to save people's lives. But there's an entire crowd out there who doesn't really get it. And your backstory with, um, you know, the Las Vegas shooting and the reason kind of why you kicked this whole thing off just shows the need for that. So for the sake of the audience and really myself, can you talk about, can you talk to the audience who pushes back on adding new technologies and kind of like your values of why you started this in the first place? Sorry, it's kind of a multi-question thing, but. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm, I'm happy to tell the story. And I think that, you know, that kind of leads into this. So, um, you know, I, I've been working on drone technology my whole life, but I've, I've, I've worked on other things and worked on cars and, you know, other, other types of technology. Um, I, I was working on a, a few different drone projects and then the, the October one shooting happened in my hometown. So uh, I was born in Nashville, but I grew up from when I was, you know, six months old in, in Las Vegas. Um, you know, my best friend was on the strip when, when the shooting happened, he called me when it first started. Uh, I just, I knew, I knew a lot of people that were directly or indirectly affected. And, um, you know, it just, it just got me thinking that like, maybe there's a place for modern technology in the hands of first responders to deal with these types of events. So this was kind of circulating in my brain for a while. Um, eventually I decided I just wanted to I wanted to talk to someone about this. So uh, I looked up the number of Las Vegas' SWAT team online and I called and surprisingly got through, I was 18 or something at the time. Uh, the, the SWAT commander of Vegas Metro eventually, eventually did talk to me. I told him a little bit about my background, some of my thoughts. Uh, he agreed to have coffee. And uh, over that initial meeting, we talked a lot about what happened during October 1. Um, I don't know how familiar you are with the event, but uh, it very familiar. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. So but the audience might not be. So yeah, go into it. Yeah. It, it took, it took first responders an hour and five minutes to make entry into the room where the gunman was firing from. And a big reason why that happened was, uh, their 911 lines were flooded with calls saying there's an active shooter here. There's an active shooter there. Because plainclothes police and security took out their, you know, the service weapons when they started hearing gunshots, and then a couple of minutes after after the shooting started, you had people that were injured or were near people that were injured. They had blood on their clothes. They were now scattering throughout the strip. So you have people that look like they were shot or were shot. Then you have a bunch of people wearing plain clothes holding holding weapons. Um, mm. And what first responders are thinking is that this is a coordinated terror attack like 
six or seven different sites, and they're sending out resources to all of these locations to try to stop stop the shooting. And it, it took them, you know, it took them an hour to really fully understand what was going on and like actually get get where they needed to be. I, did, so, I actually didn't know that part. Yeah, it was fascinating to think about. Yeah. So that was, you know, that was that was like one learning from that coffee. Um, another learning was. So the gunman obviously had like a, a stash of weapons at the window where he was shooting everyone, but he also had uh, like a baby monitor camera pointed outside of his door in, in the Mandalay Bay. Mm-hmm. And then he had another weapons cache there ready to go. So his plan was, you know, when, when police or security started walking up to his room that he'd just start shooting down the hallway, which is also a really bad tactical situation. So from, from that meeting, it seemed like there were kind of two needs. Like the first need was get eyes and ears places that would be dangerous to send a person in indoor environments. And the second need would be, you know, the ability to get just an eye in the sky, you know, wherever you need it, maybe integrated with something like a shot spotter. So you get an initial GPS coordinate of where shooting was happening. Then if you could get a drone there in, you know, a minute or less, uh, you'd be able to give first responders all that situational awareness. So, you know, they, mm-hmm. they would have known within a minute that, the, that this is a lone gunman, you know, halfway up the Mandalay Bay shooting into the Route 91 Harvest Festival, as opposed to, you know, getting all these conflicting reports and having to kind of manually sort through what's actually going on. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I decided I, I wanted to start with that first problem. So, mm. yeah. No, please. I mean, it, I'm just... Gosh, I have about 500 questions I want to ask based off of that. But you, your drone specifically covers that need already. You have breaching capability. You have the turtle mode, which I loved that you call it turtle mode. Yeah. For those who don't know, uh, when the drone gets knocked down for whatever reason, um, the drone essentially can flip over on the ground and relaunch. You have the eye in the sky capability with the... Gosh, this sounds like an infomercial. I'm really trying not to sell your company, but I'm kind of a fan already. The uh, and, and honestly, uh, for the audience's sake, he didn't pay me or anything. I'm just hyper-curious about this stuff. But like, you've already addressed the, se- several of those capabilities. I, I think the big question is, like, now what? Because that's how yeah. your use case started with October 1 shooting, and now you're getting into collapse structure. Are you Are you looking to expand into multiple kind of drones because you have now the brink ball or are you looking to essentially create like the one the one drone to rule them all you know the sauron drone you can take that name to the bank <laughs> uh like what, what's the uh what's the what's the game plan just out of curiosity i mean our really our long-term vision is to make the police helicopter obsolete and mm. bring global 911 uh response times to, to seconds and wow. The way we want to do that is by putting a drone in a nest on top of every police and fire station, integrating that with 911 call taking systems, integrating it with shot spotter, integrating it with Amber Alert systems. Mm. So if you pick up a phone and call 911, you know, you can get a response in less than a minute and uh, then use that technology to, you know, deliver Narcan, deliver ADs deliver EpiPens in seconds, people calling in with medical emergencies, Uh, use it to give, you know, police officers information about what they're about to enter before they even arrive on scene, you know, tell them what that person is holding is a BB gun instead of a Glock, 
so they understand that you know maybe their their lives aren't in danger when they're first pulling up. Uh, give firefighters like aerial live thermal imaging views of structure fires before the engines arrive. Like this is this is really kind of what we want to build. And you know, looping it all looping it all back to October one, something like this with you know a shot spotter integration. Uh, I, I really think that would have helped first responders understand what was going on a lot faster than uh, than what happened, and that you know that would have saved more lives. So that's really what we're focused on building. Man, I this is gonna be so selfish. I work a lot with universities and school systems, school districts. Um, I just got back from the University of California Irvine, where we did um, a physical security review, and we part of the reason why we were called out is because of a murder suicide that was on national news in December of last year and um, trying to learn more about the, the campus, but it applies to every campus. I can only imagine a campus police having it on one of their towers yeah. and just launching it. Again, this is not where this conversation was going to go, but I'm totally nerding out on here for a second. My biggest holdup, holdup is probably not the right word for it. My biggest hurdle I see with drones is how long drones can stay in the air. Yeah, sure. I know of like nanotechnology that they're working on batteries outside of like your specific product alone, because people are like, dude, shut up with the infomercial. Um, <laughs> but like, it is pretty cool stuff. Like what, what's the, what's the long-term goal here? Because either you do more yeah. weight with a bigger battery or you have to redesign the battery mm-hmm. or you have to tether the battery. Right. Right. What's yes. the what's what what's what's the hold up? Why does everybody under the sun make make their drone like thirty minutes or under for flying? I would love yeah. to fly for like five hours, you know. So, yeah, it's 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 a physics problem. So mm-hmm. basically, the larger you make drone propellers, the more you increase drone propeller diameter. In general, the more efficient those props get. So huh. inherently, larger drones, bigger props, those will be able to fly for longer. Battery technology is also improving at like a couple percent a year, but it's not, it's not wildly impressive. Like modern lithium ion batteries are pretty good and are unlikely to improve by, you know, a really significant amount in the short term future. What I will say though is if, if, if the vision I articulated does come to pass, you have a drone on top of every police and fire station, all of these dynamics change. Because let's say, let's say you have a major incident somewhere in a city. Uh, immediately you have the first drone show up and start providing that situational awareness. Mm-hmm. When that drone's battery starts getting low, you can just pull another drone from somewhere else in the city. Just grab grab one from a nearby police or fire station. Mm-hmm. That'll replace drone number one. It'll go back, get its battery swapped out. That one can stay there for another, another 45 minutes, and then you can just swap them out again. So what's cool mm-hmm. about a system like this is you can you can get an eye in the sky over a critical incident for for weeks for months if you wanted to um yeah rinse and repeat yeah Yeah, that's fascinating we were looking at the same kind of concept this is going to get uh sharing the secret sauce a little bit as well but we were looking at mci kits mass casualty incident kits and the problem is i i just went to an mls game and i met with the head of security there and I felt like, speaking of turtle, I felt like I saw a giant turtle because the guy had this massive NCI kit and they had one. It's like, yeah. it'd be better to be lightweight and to be able to hit a lot of people at the same time in yeah. support instead of just the the one that's stationary. So you know, from that 
that kind of concept of like this mesh system or like a web-like system, uh, pretty fascinating to to think about how even like um, using Q theory, like our code, uh, like how that can integrate with 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 response times. But okay, so let's go back to like this original problem set though of like you've identified a need, you identified the way to overcome it. Thank goodness for a fire chief or a police chief that took the time to talk to an 18 year old takes some humility to be able to do that and good on you for taking that moment and then running with it again i have to deal with a half of my community that is like the geriatric ward i don't know if i can say that or not but like they like either they love technology or they they run every single time there's a new technology how do you overcome that issue yeah, I mean, there there were people very skeptical of taking a drone and flying it indoors during a SWAT call out. Uh, I would say the majority of the team. Um, and really what it took was just demonstrated success on missions. You know, us taking the drone off, flying up to a structure, successfully breaking out a window, flying inside, flying around, finding a suspect that maybe the team didn't know was there, landing the drone, using it like a flying speakerphone, putting on, you know, a crisis negotiator to try to deescalate. And then that happening, you know, and when, when something like that happens, it's just undeniable that this thing is providing value. And now you didn't have to risk anyone's life, right? The, yes. the SWAT team didn't have to stack up and enter the structure and potentially, you know, potentially trigger a gunfight. Um, mm. just, this, this, just, just this little drone went in and if it gets destroyed, you know, no big deal. It's just, uh, it's just, it's just a huge win from a safety standpoint and and everything else, and uh, it, it made it made the technology undeniable. So that's that's what it took for me for that first deployment. Yeah. So you have some, uh, let's say, big people in your cor corner, some big names in your corner. Um, I had Chief Funkhauser on here from Indiana, who's all about drones, and they're basically changing the model in Indiana for all first responders to have drones. And one of their use cases is that they had an armed suspect that the police called out Chief Funkhauser, he's a firefighter, and said, hey, he ran into a cornfield. We don't know where he's at. And um, the guy had, was actively evading the police and obviously was very dangerous. And the, he shared the story on the podcast where he put the drone up in the sky and um, they saw him immediately see the drone and drop the weapon. Didn't even want to do it. Once yeah. he saw that big brother could see him didn't want to deal with that anymore. So you're talking about immediate life saving there. I'm talking about uh, potential booby traps and, uh, you know, uh, helping out with that. And then um, the the last case here is, sorry, I'm just thinking about all these cool scenarios, is like um, I took out the drone, gosh, what was it, to Rattlesnake Bar in Sa Sacramento uh, with the team on an event. And I had a team lead who was, adamantly against it adamantly against it yeah and i didn't find anybody on the team fast more fascinated with drones than him funny enough so mm -hmm. as soon as he saw the drone he saw he could play with it you know it was a safe yeah. environment and all of a sudden you get the wins i think it takes a lot of guts to use new technologies because you get all the naysayers but funny enough as soon as they do see it like you just kind of have to take the leap sometimes and you can show the the, the use cases and um, for the audience out there who's dealing with that, honestly, the, the biggest thing you could do is just 
just do it and you'll probably get a lot of wins. It's easier to, you know, ask for forgiveness than um, permission sometimes. And that's what it takes, right? And then it becomes a standard. You know, yeah. it doesn't it doesn't take long for this kind of stuff to just become standard operating procedure. Absolutely. And that's that's happened with a lot of gear already. I mean, it, it really going back in time, that's happened with radios for first responders, right? It's happened for patrol cars and for fire engines and CAD RMS software and you know, body cameras and any number of different things. So it's just it's just a natural kind of progression of these things. It's still early days with drones, but mm. I think someday it'll be as as critical to operations as something like a police radio. I know we don't have that much time left, but I want to switch over to the Brink Ball. Sure. Um, Brink Ball is uh, essentially, if I correct me if I'm wrong, it's a two-way radio communication device that you can throw into any environment and you can immediately begin to talk to people. And what was interesting to me is that you could capture a voice up to 100 feet away inside of a hole with all the different sounds and all the different capabilities happening. Uh, what are the use cases outside of... Well, let's see if I can name them. You're probably, you're probably going to capitalize. Somebody stuck in a hole, i.e. collapsed structure. Yep. Um, uh, somebody who has barricaded themselves in, right? Um, or th probably the third use case is the negotiation tactic so that you can harm, uh, you know, harm first responders. What are the, the, what are the kind of the tenants there? Was it the same kind of October one incident that made you think of this? Was it somebody in the field saying, Hey, I need to address it. Why switch over from eye in the sky to literally throwing the ball in the hole? Yeah, no, there's, there's, there is kind of a story here. So, um, our, our first ever lemur training with uh, Las Vegas Metro. So at this point, they, they became our first customer. They bought a couple of our drones. Uh, I built them in my mom's kitchen. She did not like, but uh, that happened. Uh, did, did the first training. It was going pretty well. And the, the sergeant in charge of, uh, of the team we were working with inside Vegas Metro, it's like, I really like the two-way audio system in this drone. Uh, to build the first drone in the world that you know, did have a two-way audio That's system. Awesome. Um, I, I really like this thing. And then he brought me over to this, uh, this section of his shop where he had this like kind of torn apart Nerf football. So they, they literally went to like Target or Walmart or something. They bought a Nerf football. They put an X-Acto in it. They, they cut a gouge out of it and they stuffed in a cell phone. And he was telling me how, uh, how they tried to use this thing a few times on operations in order to communicate with suspects that, you know, just didn't, didn't want to talk to them. Um, but obviously it had some problems. It wasn't very loud. You know, the speaker didn't work well. It was, it was pretty hacked together. Yeah. I was like, man, we actually sort of already developed all of the electronics and software needed to build something like this. That's awesome. So uh, I went back. Literally over a weekend, I like designed and 3D printed the first prototype of Brink Ball. I, I went back, we finished the training like the next week. I showed it off to them. They got really excited about it. Mm. Uh, then we had a demo with LAPD, like maybe a few days later. I figured might as well bring it to get some feedback. Showed yeah. it off. They also really liked it. But we kind of forgot about it, working mostly on, on the drone and a few months later, uh, they called up saying like, hey, we want to place a purchase order for like a few of these balls. Um, 
So I figured, man, like if, if LAPD in like a couple months wants to buy like my sort of half-ass prototype that I did in a weekend, like maybe, maybe this is something that's solving a real need. LAPD uh, right now is listening to this podcast. And yeah, like, I know. Oh, maybe, maybe I should not have said that, but uh, no, that, I love it. that's, yeah, that's how, that's how it happened. And, um, you know, since then we've made a lot of upgrades. Uh, we've extended the battery life of the thing to about a week. So you can talk continuously for, for 24 hours, but you can listen for a week. Um, we've made it extremely durable, water resistant, everything you'd, you'd kind of want a product like that to be. Um, and now, you know, now it's, now it's in the market. So that's, uh, that's where that one came from. That's but cool. listen, we're not, we're not a drone company. We're, we're a public safety technology company. We just, we want to build solutions that work and solve real problems and, uh, hopefully ultimately save lives. And uh, if that's a drone, great. But if it's something completely different, we're, you know, we're equally interested. Uh, that's the mic drop moment. That's where we, uh, that's where we should just kill it right there. Um, Blake, it's, it's such an honor to, to talk to other people. Like I was in the public sector. I got in the private sector because I wanted to find the same kind of solutions. I get to work with really cool people across the field. We call it, you know, funny enough, even though Doberman is a dog. We call it kind of the, the wolf pack of finding really cool adjacent organizations to say, hey, what's your backstory? If you have a real backstory, you're trying to find real needs. And funny enough, um, when was the sell of the ball to LA SWAT or LAPD? It was it was a while ago now. I don't remember the exact date. It's probably probably a year though, at least. Okay. The reason why I ask is because I was with a NATO delegation. It was a year or two ago in September, and we uh, were in L.A., so you had NATO officers. Uh, I was like the one non-military person in the room. It was very awkward. Uh, you know, I was using everybody's first name, and they were all like, call each other general. But uh, we went out to L.A., um, LAPD and L.A. SWAT, and they were showing us their different technology uh, capabilities, and I kind of remember them talking about something like that. But um, the the fascinating piece is oh gosh what was the the guy the officer's name, L.A. SWAT. Either way, again we keep on running into the same people, and it's cool that from our side we have been pushing hey get more technologies, more life saving, faster response time, use the tools that are available and these emerging tools. I was kind of laughing when you're talking about the Nerf ball. I can only imagine this person's worst day, right? They barricade themselves. They're fighting the police, and all of a sudden, throw, somebody yeah. throws a Nerf ball in there, and you're like, you know, it totally throws off the moment, right? <laughs> so, like, professional quality for professional situations is kind of like what you're talking about here. And, um, you know, from a guy who hasn't used your technologies but have heard about it from friends or, or whatever – I applaud you on what you're trying to do and what you're doing in the space. And uh, I honestly wish you the best of luck as you move forward here, because I do believe that your technologies and public safety can really save lives. So thanks again so much for coming on the podcast. No, I, I, I really appreciate you saying that. And yeah, I think public safety has been sort of historically ignored by, you know, the technology industry and by Silicon Valley and, uh, I think I think that's a real shame. I think there's tremendous opportunities for for these types of technologies to to save lives and really help first responders, and uh, that's that's what we're trying to do. Okay, so if one of my audience members or a lot of my audience is like, okay, you talked about these cool technologies. I work with first responders. I, I want to help out technicians. Where do they go to find you? 
Yeah, brinkdrones.com is great. So B-R-I-N-C-D-R-O-N-E-S.com. That's our website. You can learn all about us there. Uh, we're on all the normal socials too. Awesome. We'll also put your name in our show notes as a thank you for coming onto our show. Again, you didn't pay us to do this. I just thought it was a pretty cool opportunity to talk to you. For those audience members out there, if you're listening to this and we've been talking about emerging technologies for a while and you're either diving in, you have questions, you want to reach out to the community, if you're secretly on one side, i.e. the naysayer side, but you really want to be on the other side, but you're afraid to talk about it because you don't know about this stuff, reach out to the community, right? Reach out to the Disaster Tough Podcast, tag Brink and your stuff and say, hey, I want to learn more. Just be open a little bit. Use those emergency management skills of coordination and collaboration. If you got something out of this podcast episode, you know you what you got to do. You got to give us that five-star rating and subscribe. Comment on social media. Tell us what you liked. And we'll see you for the next one. Peace. Peace.